Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to the COVID Ethics Series podcast, a conversation with leading experts about bioethical issues that have been exacerbated due to the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm Brian Pilkington, and I teach bioethics at Seton Hall University and at the Hackensack Meridian School of Medicine. I moderate the COVID Ethics Series in cooperation with the IHS Library and IHS Student Life. This podcast is a spinoff collaboration with the IHS Library where we'll have the opportunity to go deep with the experts from our series. Thanks for joining our conversation. Hey everyone, welcome back to the COVID Ethics Series podcast. Uh, I am Brian Pilkington and I'm speaking today with Dr. Mark Sewell, who is a community maternal fetal medicine, medicine specialist in uh, the Northern Virginia, DC area. For those who tune in regularly and check out our, uh, both our series and our podcast, you know Dr. Sewell from our previous session on maternal, maternal fetal health um, on COVID women and babies. Mark, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, it's great to be here. Right. So children, pregnant women, there've been, there's been a lot of discussion in COVID about the impacts on them and sometimes um, the impacts on other folks who have taken it a bit harder uh, has taken sort of the, um, has been put to the forefront. So we're going to focus on those kids and on pregnant women. Uh, there's been some misinformation or some confusion about it. So I'm really glad that you're here to help us think through how COVID affects these folks. So, and that's the first sort of uninteresting question, but really important. How has COVID affected pregnant women and children that you see in your practice that you know from um, your work? That's a great question, Brian. Um, first off, when I last spoke to your group, we had really limited knowledge as to what COVID did to pregnant women. And I remember, I think one of the med students talked about, well, there might be an increased risk of miscarriage. We didn't know. And now the data has come out, and especially with the new Delta variant, uh, it appears that the outcomes for pregnant women are much worse than an average woman who, who was not pregnant. And that is a, that's a key thing. And I, I quoted some numbers that I pulled off the, uh, you know, pulled off the SMFM website. The, the odds of an ICU admission four times higher if you're pregnant with COVID infection than if you're not pregnant. Um, and all, there's a whole list of things to include preterm delivery, miscarriage, that um, are all higher in, in with COVID. And um, the, the key thing is, is that if you look at the most recent numbers that have come from the CDC in terms of data, only 24% of pregnant women have gotten the COVID vaccination. And so what you have is a number that is a largely um, exposed population that if they get COVID, they're unvaccinated and then we have to deal with the outcomes. And so the next recommendation from our group is that we do recommend the COVID vaccination. 
Mark, that's super helpful and transition right to my next question, which is you answered uh, whether you do recommend the COVID vaccine for pregnant women. And it sounds like it's especially important given um, the numbers you just quoted on the higher ICU admissions and their vulnerable status. Um, are they, so that's an excellent recommendation. Are there um, negative uh, effects? Are there concerns? If, if you're counseling a patient who comes in and says, you know, she's pregnant, she's not sure about the COVID vaccines, what sort of things should she be thinking about um, as you sort of talk through that recommendation? Right. So, I, you know, I, I said I mentioned that we recommend it. Now, every um, group of doctors, midwives, nurses that takes care of pregnant women also recommends this. And we've got ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians, Gynecologists, SMFM, which is the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine, and now the CDC all recommend giving the, the vaccine to, to pregnant women. As it is with any medicine or anything administered in pregnancy, there's a great deal of hesitancy on the part of the, of the pregnant mother in a lot of cases. And so um, it becomes a discussion as to the risks and benefits and what are, what are, what's available out there. Um, and we don't have long-term studies. We never will, it, or we will in the long-term, which is not now. And so um, in that setting, what we have to do is discuss what the outcomes of of uh, COVID are in pregnancy. And, and generally they're not severely high risk, but there are cases where, um, you know, women end up in a situation where they could lose their life, lose the pregnancy. And you may have seen in the news recently down in Alabama, there was a whole ICU full of intubated pregnant women at once. I think there was nine or 10 patients in Birmingham. And um, that is astounding uh, as to the, how severe that level of infection is in pregnancy. Um, I have seen a great deal of intubated women that are pregnant over the last year and a half, and almost to the point where more than I've seen in the previous 18 years of practicing high-risk uh, maternal fetal medicine. And so I, I try to get my point across, and that's, that becomes the discussion right now is the message that's out there. There's a lot of messages, and we might get more into this, about fertility and the effects of the vaccine. Um, scientifically or, or medically speaking, the, the vaccine in itself should not be something that is, is, is going to affect the pregnancy, meaning there are lots of vaccines that have been administered in the past, some inadvertently, some inadvertently, that um, have been given to women who are pregnant or early pregnancy. And the data that's out there shows that these vaccines that are not containing live viruses are safe. Um, in my own personal experience, I, I was previously a, a high-risk OB doctor in the military, and we had, a, we had a large group of women who, in preparation for deployment, they would get the anthrax vaccine. And a certain percentage of women, not many, but enough, and it's in the hundreds, have you know, became pregnant uh, after getting this vaccine. And there was always a great deal of concern. Um, there is a registry that has looked at this, and the outcomes were there was no worsening outcome. And um, thus far, we had the same um, registry for pregnant women receiving the COVID vaccination. Excellent, Mark. That's, um, that's really helpful information. And it sounds like going through and weighing the costs, sort of doing the cost-benefit analysis, um, that, yeah, I mean, the, the positives, especially for uh, this vulnerable population, outweigh uh, any negatives. I want to... Um, 
focus on another point and just highlight, because uh, as you said, we have med students, nursing students, allied profession students. We even have some undergrad philosophy uh, students who tune into this regularly. And you made that excellent point about the long-term data, right? So some folks who have been a bit more hesitant or sort of overly cautious, that's my language, not yours, about the vaccine have made claims that there is no long-term data. But I think you highlight really well that data is not possible. So if that's something, right, we, we haven't gone through the long term. So if that's something you're looking for, um, not that it's a red herring, but that those folks who say, well, we're just not early adopters, it's not that uh, there's concern about that information. It just doesn't exist. Right. And there always will be an argument if you want to have one. I, I don't know if they call that in philosophy the straw man argument or something, yeah. <laughs> something where doubt we can never, you know, you can always change where the argument is. And yes, there is no long term data. My response to that is that, you know, vaccines in themselves, where we administer a vaccine where there is, there is some particles or mRNA that is injected into the body and the immune system responds to it, that in itself is not associated with risk to a pregnancy. And so that is the, that is the point. Like what we're doing is what has been done with vaccinations for a long time for a long time in pregnancy with the flu, all these other vaccinations. We know that none of the material that's given in the vaccination has been found across the placenta. The only things that have been found across the placenta are the antibodies that the mother makes that protect her fetus, her baby, against outside infections from COVID. Excellent. And you've uh, guessed where I'm going sort of again. So the, the research that um, I've seen that you just alluded to that um, pregnant, or sorry, um, so mothers can pass antibodies along to their children. Can you just say a little bit more about that in pregnancy? And then um, I want to ask if you have any sort of recommendations or sort of point us in the right direction, if this is outside the MFM scope about breastfeeding mothers too, and any research you might've come across, because that sounds like, uh, sounds like the, the mother again, right, is, has the potential to be the great protector of the child. Tell us a little bit more about the antibodies and how they sort of end up with, with the kid. Yes. And so there has been some great research done where um, the, we've demonstrated in the umbilical cord blood, which is the umbilical cord blood is after the baby delivers, you sample the umbilical cord and test for the antibodies. And they have found that the antibodies for COVID are, are present in the, in the umbilical cord blood, which demonstrates they're crossing the placenta. And so that's a tremendous study, and it shows that there's benefit to the baby. Along with the benefits of mother not getting sick and all those other things, there's direct you know, antibody benefit. The IgG antibodies, which are produced by the mother's immune system, cross directly across the, uh, the placenta and umbilical cord to the baby, and they're present in amounts. If, the, if the, we found that the, if the vaccination is done in early pregnancy, that there are higher levels of antibodies present in the umbilical cord blood than if it's in a later pregnancy, which is an interesting point too. So the, the, the immune system of the mother becomes the immune system of the, of the fetus and then the baby afterwards. And then that, that, that really helps uh, to some extent. Um, I'm a little bit less schooled on terms of what the breast um, milk transitions. I know there are antibodies that are transitioned across the breast milk and I, you know, that is, it's a pretty straightforward uh, transition there to antibodies going across the breast. You know, the baby gets them, it's protection. Um, it, it's good. Uh, I don't have as much in my, 
the field with that, but I know that it's good to breastfeed, it's good to get the COVID vaccination, and I would say that both those are correlated. Excellent. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, there, there had been new, uh, sorry, news stories, gee, I think uh, a few months ago about, about women who had stopped breastfeeding and then restarted um, in, or, in order to sort of gain whatever those potential benefits are. Um, and again, I want to highlight something that uh, Dr. Sewell mentioned for all the students uh, and everyone else on the, the call. Not only does it sound like there are specific health benefits, right, the antibodies will come across uh, the placenta for the for the fetus, but also um, that really nice point, right? As we're thinking about um, health and medicine more holistically, social determinants of health, um, that it's actually the, the mother being healthy and being able to care for the child, right? It's not just those antibodies. So Mark, I appreciated that sort of broader um, perspective. So what I'd like to do now in the last uh, couple minutes that we have is broaden it out a little bit more. Um, so, there are folks beyond uh, pregnant women and children who are hesitant about the vaccine. And in light of what you said about the vulnerable, pop, uh, the thing about the vulnerabilities of pregnant women and fetuses, uh, any, you know, so you're just having a conversation with uh, someone who's a bit hesitant about this, um, no relation to pregnant, pregnant women. Do you think as a broader member of society that they should take special care for the vulnerable populations? Do you think that um, other folks, even if they wouldn't want the vaccine for them, should take it in order to sort of protect um, pregnant women? And what's in the background here? Right? We have a long discussion in bioethics about special care to be taken for vulnerable folks. And we also have um, collective action problems, free rider problems. Um, there's a sort of a lot of ethics uh, content that the students have had um, before they'll watch uh, or listen to this session. So any thoughts on other folks and impacts of not getting the vaccine on uh, pregnant members of society? Well, that's that's a, a good question. Uh, you know, we there's a lot of this. This becomes a, you know, personal freedom versus societal responsibility discussion. Yeah. Um, as a provider of medical care for pregnant women and their babies, we, we have scenarios where if you don't get the vaccination and you expose someone, it could cause significant risk. And, and that's, it's an obvious statement from a, a medical perspective that we, you know, we recommend it not just to um, our pregnant patients, but all of our patients. And, um, you know, I don't know how to ethically <laughs> say that it, there's a good reason not to get it. Um, there, there's really, the ethics are on such that if you're going to protect anybody, your pregnant spouse, your, your grandparent who's gotten chemotherapy, your nephew who has an organ transplant, all these people that are definite situations where if they get COVID, it is possible that there could be an ICU admission or loss of life. And so um, the, the overall risk-benefit ratio calculation is always, in, in nearly all cases, on the side of, of giving the vaccination or getting the vaccination. And that, that's my own, you know, my own thought process on it. Everyone's going to think differently, but there is no, in a society where there are people who have, you know, vulnerability, um, you know, being pregnant, chemotherapy, as I said, organ transplant, those folks are 
vulnerable. And there may be some people who are vulnerable to the point where they can't get the vaccination because of the risk of the vaccination. And that group of people is, you know, especially, it is especially dangerous to have COVID exposure. Um, and so the conversation I would have with, if I were to have a family member, would be that discussion. Um, you know, and that becomes more of an ethical discussion about how, how your actions affect other people. Um, do you lose your seatbelt? Do you drive, you know, do you drive drunk? Things like that. Um, that that's how I would frame it in my, in my perspective. Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate that. And stepping into the sort of medical ethicsy, big societal question um, arena. So I've been speaking with Dr. Mark Sewell, a community maternal fetal medicine specialist in Northern Virginia and DC. Uh, Mark, it's been great to talk uh, with you about these issues. And I just want to remind uh, folks tuning in uh, that Dr. Sewell had mentioned um, some resources, the CDC uh, vaccine safe registry. I know you've mentioned to me before. We also have the smfm.org, the maternal fetal medicine, medicine society's website that has a lot of information. Uh, anything else I've forgotten that um, for folks with more questions that you could sort of send them to. Right. And so the V-safe, the CDC vaccine safe registry is, is looked at over 5,000 pregnant women throughout their pregnancies to quantify their outcomes. So that's the best thing we have in terms of quote unquote long-term data right now. And so to, to tell a pregnant woman that 5,000 women have been assessed and the risk of miscarriage isn't any higher, that, that's a pretty large number to, to ascertain. And so when it, that is a big question. We didn't get into the, will the, you know, are the risks thought to be higher? And so far it appears not when we've looked at thousands of women. So that's a key, um, it's a key place to look if, if things evolve over time. But right now, I don't feel like they should evolve. It appears that the 5,000 is, is a good number and we'll continue to follow that. Excellent. Uh, that's helpful, Mark. As always, great to talk to you. Thanks for taking the time and we'll talk again soon. That sounds good. Thanks, Brian. Thank you for listening to this episode of the COVID Ethics Series podcast. Be sure to check out video versions of our episodes online at library.shu.edu slash COVID Ethics. Follow the show on Twitter at Shoe Bioethics and our moderator, me, at BCP Ethics. And if you're listening to this show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, please subscribe and leave a review. If there's a topic you'd like to see discussed in the future, let us know. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 